Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. This week's episode, we will be talking about um, the conclusion of what basically is happening on AEW since AEW's uh, pay-per-view that just happened this Saturday, uh, AEW Full Gear. And before I end this episode, I will be giving you my results, well, my predictions for who I would think will win at this Sunday's um, Survivor Series. But without further ado, let's start off with the show and let's get off to Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with a Big E in-ring promo. Big E talks about how Roman and his family have beat up on the New Day. He talks about how, at first, this wasn't supposed to be personal. This was just nothing but business. Champion versus champion, like Survivor Series has always been. But Roman and his family, the bloodline, made it personal whenever he beat up on Kofi and took him out. And he beat up on Xavier and took his crown last Friday. So Big E says he's going to take a piece of Roman that he can't get back at Survivor Series. Big E then switches his attention over to Kevin Owens and then calls him out to the ring. Kevin Owens comes out, but he's on the entrance ramp. And he says that he has to get something off his chest before he goes down there to beat up on Big E. Kevin Owens blames Big E for his loss against Seth Rollins last week. Kevin Owens also blames Big E for him being the person that made people in the back and the audience change their appearance on um, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens says that he snapped and that he's going to be the bad villain that everybody thinks he is because once Big E already made it up in his mind that he was the villain, he's now going to play the villain villain role and he's going to be the baddest villain than anybody has ever been. And he says all everything that's about to happen to anybody in the back or even yourself, Big E, is all your fault. And then Kevin Owens walks to the back. Big E gives chase and he wants to fight Kevin Owens, so he starts going to the back. He starts going to the back, but before he even gets all the way to the back, he gets attacked by the Usos. The Usos jump him and they start beating him up and then they throw him back into the ring. They continue to stomp on him and Jay gets the microphone and tells him that Roman sends his regards to Big E and they're basically sent here on a mission to beat up on Big E before his match against Roman Reigns. So they continue to beat up on him, and they even um, say that RK Bro could come out here and get this work as well. So Riddle takes him up on this challenge. He runs down there, and he makes the save. So now it's a two-on-two, Big E and Riddle going against both the Usos. The Usos are trying to retreat, and before they can even go to the backstage, Sonya Deville comes out until all four men get back in the ring, and they're about to have a tag team match. Before the bell rings, Seth Rollins comes out, and he's going to be on commentary for this matchup. So now we got Big E and Riddle going against the Usos. Big E and Riddle win the match by disqualification when Seth gets in the ring and attacks Riddle and Big E. Seth does this because as he was on commentary during the match of E and Riddle going against the Usos, Big E was outside with Jimmy Uso, and he throws Jimmy in the direction of Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins had to move out of the way just so Jimmy wouldn't hit him. So Seth was upset, and he got in the ring, and he just started attacking both Riddle and E. So now you got E getting jumped by both the Usos and Seth, and Riddle is also getting jumped as well. So now it's a three-on-two until Randy Orton comes down to make the save. So now it's a three-on-three, so now you know what it's about to turn into. 
it turns it into a six-man tag team match. So now you got Big E and Riddle and Randy Orton going against Seth Rollins and the Usos. Seth Rollins and the Usos win the match by pinfall when Rollins was able to hit two rolling elbows to the back of the head of Riddle and cover him for the win. After the match, Rollins gets out of the ring and starts walking to the back as the Usos are still beating up on Riddle. The Usos then lift up Riddle and you have Jimmy holding up Riddle in position so Jay can kick him in the behind the knee. But uh, Riddle throws Jimmy out of the ring. And as Jay was running over to hit Riddle behind the knee, Randy Orton gets in the ring and catches Jay in running motion with an RKO. So it was an RKO out of nowhere. And you get Riddle and Randy leaving the ring. And then Big E goes over to Jay, grab him by the head, and tells him to tell your daddy, tell Roman Reigns that the message has been received and that I'm going to be sending him a message back. And then he lifts up Jay and hits him with a big ending. And now you get Big E staring off into the camera, just mouthing off to Roman Reigns. He's basically saying he's going to kick Roman Reigns' butt at Survivor Series. After this, we get a backstage interview. Well, technically... At Gorilla Position, Bianca Belair being interviewed. And Bianca's saying that she's looking for Dewdrop because Dewdrops keep sticking her nose in Bianca's business. Tamina walks up to Bianca and tells her that tonight, you're my business. Bianca says she was looking for Dewdrop, but you'll do. So Bianca then heads out to the ring for their matchup. We go to Kevin Owens backstage, and he stopped for an interview. And Kevin Owens says that he was a man of his word, and he says that he didn't go out to the ring to fight Big E because he lied. Everybody thinks that he's already a liar and he's a bad guy, so he's, like, going into that uh, feeling of which they already call him. He's furthering along that whole feeling and motion. So he tell, so he mentions by saying, by I lied, I mean I told the truth then. So he's trying to mix, communicate, and also create some delusion all up in fans' minds as well. Finn Balor walks up to Kevin Owens and tells KO that he's sorry that he wasn't here last week to speak up for Kevin Owens and to tell Kevin Owens in person that he doesn't trust him. Finn then lets Kevin Owens know that he was supposed to have a match with Seth Rollins tonight, but since Seth has already wrestled, he was told that he would now go against Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens looks at Finn and tells him, I feel sorry for you. And that, my friend, is no lie. And then Kevin Owens walks away. Now we go back to in-ring competition. Now it's Bianca Belair going against Tamina. Bianca wins the match by pinfall when she was able to hit the KOD on Tamina for the win. After the match, Dewdrop comes out and she's on the stage with the microphone in hand. Dewdrop's main point is that she's letting Bianca Belair know that after Survivor Series is all said and done, she's going to be looking for Bianca Belair. So now we're setting up for Dewdrop going against Bianca in the December portion of our yearly uh, wrap-up for WWE. Now it's time for Becky Lynch's in-ring promo. Becky mentions how, what Charlotte Flair said about her on SmackDown. Becky mentions how she was once Charlotte's friend, the person that Charlotte will cry to whenever things didn't go her way. Now she is the person that slapped Charlotte and took herself into a new stratosphere. Becky mentions that she will be the person to beat the piss out of Charlotte Flair at Survivor Series. And then you get Liv Morgan coming out, and she mentions that she's tired of the whole love-hate relationship that her and Charlotte Flair have. Liv talks about uh, that she's not going to let Becky just walk away the same way that she did last week whenever Liv got in Becky's face after she won the five way to become the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky says she left so Morgan can have her moment because Morgan doesn't have many of those. Becky then plays a video of Liv talking about how Becky mentioned to her 
whenever she was going away to give birth that Liv was going to be champion whenever Becky came back. And Becky said, you know what? I'm sorry for putting that much pressure on you because you just couldn't live up to it. I'm back and I have the championship and you're not going to take that title off of me. Morgan then calls Becky a big time B. Then Becky then tries to go for the manhandle slam, but Liv was able to uh, reverse it and send Becky out of the ring. And as Becky's on the entrance ramp staring at Liv Morgan, she's shouting at Liv, don't you touch my championship. Don't you touch it. And Liv picks it up and holds it up in the air. So this might be a thing to come in the future of Liv Morgan actually being the one to dethrone Becky Lynch. Only time will tell. Now we go backstage and we got Randy Orton and Riddle walking backstage and Randy's giving Riddle some tough love right here. Randy tells Riddle that he needs to stop getting other people's business and focus on RK Bro and the Raw Tag Team Championship. Randy lets Riddle know that the only thing that he cares about is the TIS team and the Raw Tag Team Championships. He needs to stop getting into Big E's business. He needs to stop getting into the Street Profits business. Start focusing on RKO's biz- RK Bro's business and the Raw Tag Team Championships because that's the only thing Randy cares about. Randy walks away from Riddle, and Riddle is then met with the Street Profits. The Street Profits ask uh, Riddle, "Is are you okay? Riddle says, yeah, I'm okay. Randy just has a funny way of showing people that he actually cares for them, and he does it in his own strange little ways. Riddle says that Randy is right, though. He has to start acting like Randy. Street Profits look at Riddle and tell Riddle that the only time you're supposed to think like your partner is whenever you're in the ring. And that's the reason why we're one of the great tag teams right now. Street Profits then leave and then they're heading for to the ring for their match against uh, the Alpha Academy. So now we get to the Street Profits going against the Alpha Academy. The Street Profits win the match by pinfall when Chad Gable hit a crossbody off the top turnbuckle onto Montez Ford. Montez Ford was able to use Gable's momentum and roll out of that pinning predicament to roll Gable into his own pinning uh, predicament and win the match off of that. Solid tag team match. No more I need to say off that. A video then plays of Rey Mysterio walking into Adam Pierce's office earlier in the day, and he wants to know why Adam did what he did last week to Dominic. Ray talks about how Adam had a verbal agreement with the Mysterios and that Dominic could be on the Raw men's tag uh, team at Survivor Series. Adam tells Ray that he knows how Ray feels and he's, he knows how he feels truly and he's sorry. Ray asks Pierce, is Pierce a man of his words? Pierce then starts to get upset at Ray and tells Ray that he needs to stay in his place. And then he puts Ray in a match with Bobby Lashley later in the main event. After this, we now go to the ring, and it's Queen Selena Vega with Carmella in her corner, going against Nikki A.S.H. with Rhea Ripley in her corner. Selena wins the match by pinfall when she was able to hit the code red on Nikki and get the win. After the match, Nikki rolls out of the ring, and she's on the ground, and Rhea's checking up on her. Carmella's now in the ring, and she's shouting at Nikki, calling her a loser. Rhea gets upset and gets in the ring and starts staring down Carmella as Carmella is slowly walking out of the ring. And they have a match next. So we get Rhea Ripley with Nikki in her corner going against Carmella with Queen Selena in her corner. And Rhea was able to get the win whenever she was able to hit the Riptide on Carmella in this match. Funny notice, Carmella was dominating majority of this match. Like literally like 80% of this match went to Carmella just beating up on Rhea Ripley. I don't understand why. Rhea is bigger and like stronger. So I get that usually that doesn't matter all the times professional wrestling. But when it comes down to this magnitude... Yeah, Rhea shouldn't have been, like, dominated. 
majority of this match. But that's what they wanted to go with. After the match, however, Selena gets on the mic and starts to try to cause a wedge between Rhea and Nikki by calling Nikki basically the weak link of the team between her and Rhea and saying that Nikki should be happy to be the friend of a winner like Rhea Ripley. And Selena does declare that herself and Carmella will lead Raw's women tag team, well, Raw's women Survivor Series team into victory at Survivor Series over SmackDown's team. After this, we get Biggie in Adam Pierce's office, and Biggie is told by Adam Pierce that he doesn't want him around the match with Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. He wants some focus on Roman Reigns at Survivor Series. Biggie tells him, "I'm going to be focused, and I'm not going to be around." Adam Pierce tells him, I'm, sh- "I'm telling you, don't be around that match. Nowhere near Finn Balor and Kevin Owens match. Don't be around it. And if you think I'm joking, I have two words for you." Brock Lesnar. Biggie starts getting upset and he looks at Pierce and then he holds the championship tight and he just walks out of the office. Pierce mentions Brock Lesnar because he had to find Brock Lesnar a million dollars and that's basically the reason why. Oh yeah, yes, it's been him indefinitely. So that's the reason why Biggie is just looking at Pierce like I I listen to you. Fine, whatever. So after this, we go now backstage and Seth Rollins is walking backstage with his handler. Seth Rollins is now interviewed and he talks about leading Raw's men uh, Survivor Series team into victory at Survivor Series. And he says, as the Survivor Series is done, he will set his focus all on taking the WWE Championship off of Big E and being the man on the A-Show, which is Monday Night Rollins. After this, we get Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens and Finn Balor wins the match by pinfall. When Finn Balor was looking to hit the coup de gras off, but Kevin Owens hits the ropes, and Finn drops on the top turnbuckle. Kevin Owens grabs Finn off the turnbuckle and brings him to the middle of the ring, hits him with a stunner for the win, and that's all. That's all. After this, we get AJ Styles and Omos walking backstage, and they're stopped for an interview. They talk about how the Dirty Dogs stole a win from them last week. Even though they were on the same team, AJ wanted to make the win for the team, and that tonight they're going to make them suffer. So that's where we're going to right now. The tag team match of AJ Styles and Omos going against the Dirty Dogs. AJ Styles and Omos won the match by pinfall when Omos dominated both men, both Dolph and Rude, which led to AJ asking for the tag. And once he got tagged in, he hit Dolph with a phenomenal forearm, covered Dolph for the win, and that's all she wrote. After this, now it's time for Bobby Lashley's backstage interview. Bobby mentions that there's no superstar in the back that is more destructive, more dominant, more invincible than the almighty Bobby Lashley. He mentions how Dominic shouldn't have even been on the Raw's team, and he says that after he's done with Ray tonight, Ray could pick himself up and stand on the ring apron and watch as Bobby goes through everybody on Team SmackDown to win the match at Survivor Series. So now is the main event time of Rey Mysterio with Dominic in his corner going against Bobby Lashley. Bobby wins the match by submission when Bobby was able to get Ray in the herlock. And after the match, Bobby wouldn't let go of Ray until he was basically tired, and then he threw Ray down to the mat. Adam Pearce comes out and announces that Rey Mysterio has been removed from the Raw team because he's trying to preserve Rey Mysterio's health, but we all know this is some shady tactics, and then there will be a replacement named in the future. Pearce then walks back to the backstage. Dominic's in the ring, and he's wondering what Adam Pearce is doing, and he's shouting at Pearce. But he doesn't know from behind that Adam Austin Theory is in the ring, and Austin turns 
at, uh, Dominic around and hits him with the ATL, which is basically a uh, fireman's carry turned into a knee buster to the face. After this happens, Adam Pierce comes right back out to the ramp and he says that he likes how Austin Theory works. So Austin Theory will be taking Rey Mysterio's place on the Raw Survivor Series team at Survivor Series. So now you got on Raw's team is Seth Rollins, uh, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory going against Drew McIntyre, King Woods, Jeff Hardy, Happy Corbin, and a mystery person that probably wouldn't be announced until SmackDown. And that's how Raw ends. Now it's off to NXT. NXT opens up with a match between Tony D'Angelo going against Dexter Loomis. This is playing off their uh, Tony D'Angelo's interrupting Indy Hartwell last week to give her a fish to tell her that this is basically for her husband. Before the match begins, though, Dexter has a picture on a picture stand, and the picture was Tony D'Angelo sleeping with the fishes that Dexter Loomis drew. And I got to tell you, this picture was nice. Dexter Loomis is an actual good drawer, a cartoonist in his actual, like, real life, like real, real life. So his picture was pretty good. Uh, after the match, however, Tony A. D'Angelo wins the match by pinfall. When Tony goes outside the ring and grabs the picture stand and goes inside the ring with it, and the referee takes the picture stand away from Tony D'Angelo, and this is now the perfect opportunity for D'Angelo to poke Dexter in the eye while the referee isn't looking, then grab him and hit him with a spinning fisherman suplex for the win. After the match, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams get in the ring and jump Dexter Loomis from behind. They're putting the boots to him. They're stomping him out. And they even look at Tony D'Angelo like, do you want to get in on this? And Tony just looks at him like, shrugs his shoulders like, nah, I'm good. And so now you get Trick Williams go outside the ring to grab a steel chair from underneath the ring. Brings it in. They put Dexter Loomis' hand in between the steel chair. And Carmelo Hayes gets on the second turnbuckle and jumps off and stomps on the chair, which has Dexter's hand in it. So Johnny Gargano then comes running out to the ring, and at when he does this, Carmelo and Trick notice it, and they just jump out of the ring, and they leave out uh, to the backstage. They go to commercial break, and when they come back, you see uh, Dexter and Johnny and Indy take Dexter out of the ring, and Dexter's going to the back because Johnny Gargano's still in the ring. Johnny talks about how Carmelo has made this personal at begin at the beginning of this, Johnny just wanted to take the North American title off of Carmelo Hayes to prove that he was the better man. But now, since you attacked a member of his family, you made it personal. Johnny now wants to kick Carmelo's teeth down his throat. And, you know, he's trying to call Carmelo out because, you know, Carmelo's around somewhere. Pete Dunn comes out to the ring and accuses Johnny of using this as a way to weasel himself into a match with Carmelo Hayes. So then you get Johnny and Pete Dunn just bickering on the mic for a little bit until Carmelo and Trick come out, but they're on a like a rising stage and they're looking down at Pete Dunn and Johnny Gargano. Carmelo just throws out the challenge to both Johnny Gargano and Pete Dunn to a match next week for the NXT North American Championship, a triple threat match. Both Johnny Gargano and Pete Dunn agree, so we have our triple threat match set for next week for the NXT North American Championship. We go backstage and we go to the locker room of Diamond Mind. Diamond Mind are there to hype themselves up for their six-man tag team match next. And when, as they're hyping themselves up and getting themselves together, Joe Gacy walks into their locker room. Malcolm Bivens asks Joe Gacy, what do you want? Joe compliments how the Diamond Mind work together as a unit and they're following the leadership of Roderick Strong. Joe mentions to Roderick that 
As a leader, he has a great responsibility to keep the door open for opportunities. Malcolm Bill cuts him off right there and tells Joe that Diamond Mine has tryouts in the next two weeks. And you can sign up for this set price. Bivens then proceeds to hand Joe Gacy his card and tell him to holla at me. Then Joe looks at it and says, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And Diamond Mind leaves. So this is setting up for Joe Gacy to possibly, uh, not going to say take over Diamond Mind, but like challenge Roderick Strong later to a match for probably the Cruiserweight Championship. Who knows? After this, we get a video playing of LA Knight, and he mentions how whenever he first got into NXT, whether it be 1.0 or 2.0, he doesn't care what you want to call it, his main focus was to become the NXT champion. He said he was on the right path to becoming the NXT champion until Grayson Waller got in his way. So LA Knight is trying to get rid of Grayson Waller so he can get back on the right track towards the NXT championship. After this video gets done playing, now it's time for our six-man tag team match between Diamond Mai, which is Roderick Strong, and the Creed Brothers going against Jack and Time and Odyssey Jones. Jones wins the match for his team when Malcolm Bivens got on the ring apron to distract the referee, and he was trying to do this to help Roderick Strong out, but it ended up backfiring on him when uh, Hickman Yarrow hits a forearm on Roderick Strong in the face. Then Kushida hits one of his strong power punches to Roddy in the face. Then Odyssey Jones hits a running crossbody splash on Roderick Strong to get the win for his team. This was a solid six-man tag team match. I mean, there's nothing more you can say. I wonder why they're putting Odyssey like in this spot. I understand this gives Odyssey airtime, but Odyssey going after Roderick Strong, nah, he should be hanging himself out there in the like middle, higher up middle uh card class, meaning the North American title shot right there. He should be trying to throw his hat name into that hat, but we're gonna see if they're just trying to slowly build him up or whatever they're trying to do with him. But that's where I think Odyssey should be at. And they already got the seeds planted for Odyssey to go against Carmelo whenever they want to do it. Because remember, at the NXT breakout tournament, Carmelo Hayes broke, beat Odyssey Jones to win the tournament. So that kind of can lead you into something whenever they want to do it. Just food for thought. We go backstage now and Grizzly Young Veterans are holding the NXT Women Tag Team Championships. And they get on FaceTime with Zach Gibson's grandmother. She congratulates them on being the NXT Tag Team Champions. Zach gets off the phone with her quick. And Zach tells James Gibson that this, this should get him a majority of his grandmother's will. So now he's trying to put the NXT Women's Championship back in the locker room with toxic attraction without them knowing. Gibson is doing all this basically to try to fool his grandmother. They're trying to give they're trying to give Grizzly Young Veterans characters. I understand that Grizzly Young Veterans are a great tag team, but in WWE, you got to be something else than uh, just a great professional wrestler. Certain guys can get away with it. Certain guys can't. And Grizzly Young Veterans, they apparently can't. You actually got to have a legit type of character. So they're trying to give them like the old uh, cheaters type of gimmick. I'm not going to say the Guerreros, but because the, the Guerreros were an excellent, charismatic heel ish tag team that was able to bring fans along for the ride and make people enjoy them. But if you look at what they're trying to do with the Grizzly Young Veterans, I'll say this is a British style of the Guerreros in a way. In a way, if you look at how they're trying to do it, trust me, this is the modern day Guerreros if they were to do it this way. Trust me on this one. Just look at the old vignettes the Guerreros had in 2002. 
Los Guerreros between Chavo and Eddie and the vignettes in some of 2002 for SmackDown. Just look at them and think about how they would re be revamped in 2021. This is the exact way how they would do it. So this is just the British version of what they will be doing for the Los Guerreros. Anyway, getting to the point here. Now we do a video of MSK. They're in the airport and they're trying to fly to the shaman. Uh, that's all it is. And I have a feeling that the shaman is going to be John Morrison. Because there's only been one shaman in WWE. The shaman of sexy, John Morrison. Uh, they, they also threw out a hint in the tag, in this video that he's a great, that he knows uh, great tag teams. John Morrison was in two famous tag teams. Eminem, him and Joey Mercury, and him and The Miz. Both teams, great success as tag team champions. So, I can see them throwing John Morrison as their guru. I can see it. After this, we get Zion Quinn going against Andre Chase. Zion wins the match when he hits a jackhammer on Andre and gets the win. After the match, Legado de Fantasma members Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde attacks Zion from behind. And Zion was able to take care of both Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde by himself. He throws him outside of the ring. Now you got Zion beating up on both of them. And he was able to handle them until he was attacked from behind by none other than their boss, Santos Escobar. Santos Escobar then tells about Ra uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde to hold up Zion Quinn, and he calls Electra to come over there. Electra then looks Zion in the face and tells him that no one says no to Electra Lopez. So Santos then tells Mendoza and Raul to pick him up. Raul slams uh, Zion's uh, back of his body onto a steel floor plate because you hear a big thud once ever Zion's body hits the plate. And then you get Legato de Fantasma as a unit walking away from him. And they're so happy that they just beat him on Zion Quinn. And Electra just stands there for a minute and looks at Zion on the ground. And she looks happy in what she's uh, accomplished here. And she stares at Zion for a minute and then just walks away. So Beth Phoenix on commentary said that that, that look was a woman scorned for basically being told no. So I can see Zion Quinn basically coming back to take revenge on all every member of Legado del Fantasma, and probably even like leaving Electra Lopez for last, and we'll probably get Electra like leaving Legado to be with uh, Zion Quinn. But what happened? This we'll we'll have to see whenever that happens, or if that ever does happen. After this, now it's time for uh, Raquel Gonzalez's backstage interview. She mentions how she uh, losing the NXT Women's Championship has sat with her. She mentioned that she took the championship everywhere, and now she has to watch Mandy walk around with her championship. But she'll focus on Mandy after she gets destroying Dakota Kai tonight in the main event. Now we go back to the ring, and inside the ring, it's time for the poker showdown between Duke Hudson and Cameron Grimes. And let me say this to you. I have no idea what they were doing. They were playing Texas Hold'em. I know Blackjack. Blackjack is a simple game. You play up to 21 Aces are wild, whether it be a, you can call it 11 or 1. It all depends on what you need at that specific time. But once you call it, you got to keep it that way. Um, but this whole segment just basically lost me. But the only thing I did know is that Cameron Grimes was basically bluffing his whole way throughout this game with uh, Duke Hudson. And NXT was so great that they put up like the chances of Duke Hudson winning and Cameron Grimes winning because they were both given two cards. And the dealer was throwing out three cards to begin with. And they showed the percentage of Duke Hudson having like 85%. No, first it was 95% of winning this hand and 
Then it went to uh, Cameron Grimes, 5%. She put out another card and it changed. Duke Hudson, 85%. Cameron Grimes, 12, uh, 15 And then it went to another hand being a card being thrown out. Then it went to 100% Duke Hudson, 0% Cameron Grimes. And as all this is going down, Cameron Grimes is getting all into the head of Duke Hudson. He's playing Duke Hudson like a fiddle. He's making Duke Hudson question himself and even question himself so bad that Duke Hudson basically had to fold his hand whenever Duke Hudson was literally at the 100% chance of winning this. And he just didn't know because he thought Cameron Grimes was bluffing him like Cameron Grimes bluffed on him two weeks ago at his poker uh, place. So once he folded and Cameron Grimes won all the money, Duke Hudson just started getting angry and he said, what, what did you hold? Grimes told him, I won the hand. That's what I was told. Duke Hudson said, no, what was the two cards in your hand? I want to know, was it a flush? It was a flush, wasn't it? And then when he flipped it over, he saw the two cards that Cameron Grimes was holding. And Cameron Grimes just started laughing maniacally all up in, uh, in his chair. And Duke Hudson just standing there with the, I can't believe I just got played again face. And you hear the fans chant, you got played, you got played. This sent Duke snapping. And he ran over in big boot, Cameron Grimes in the face. And then he starts just beating down on Grimes. Even at one point, he picks him up and power bombs him through the poker table. And you think that's the end of it. But no, Duke Hudson goes out of the ring. He stands on the entrance ramp for a minute. Then he goes underneath the ring. He pulls a red toolbox out. And on the inside of the toolbox, he first grabs a hammer. And he puts the hammer down. Then he picks up a pair of scissors. He gets back in the ring and proceeds to start giving Cameron Grimes a little bit of a haircut. He cuts his beard and he starts cutting some of Cameron's own hair off his head. And he didn't cut off a lot because Cameron was still left with a lot on his head. But just the notice of a guy with long hair start getting his hair cut by somebody else, that's just straight disrespect. So now it's gotten personal between Duke and Cameron Grimes. We'll have to see what they do uh, next week on NXT to see how they further along this storyline. After this, we go to the backstage area in the locker room, and there's Von Wagner, Von Wagner pumping himself up. He's stepping on uh, some type of string and, like, pulling it up to pump up his arms. And Kyle O'Reilly enters the room, and Kyle mentions that he saw Von on SmackDown being Adam Pierce's bodyguard. Von tried to explain himself to Kyle, but Kyle told him not to worry about it, and he says it's all good. And he tells him, it's Tuesday, man. We're here to kick butt, and that's what we're going to do. They fist bumped each other and they leave out the locker room to go out to their ring for their match. So now it's a tag team match of Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly going against the team of Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs. Von Wagner wins the team for wins the match for his team by pinfall when Kyle O'Reilly takes out Josh Briggs with a running knee off the ring apron onto Josh on the outside of the floor. As Von Wagner was able to hit uh, Brooks with a double underhook spinning slam for the win. Solid tag team match, nothing to complain about, and nothing to write about here. Uh, after this, we have Imperium in the backstage area watching this match, and at the end, you get the cameras panning over back to Imperium, and you hear them talking, they talk in their uh, language, their foreign language, I believe it was German, and they admit that Kyle and Von Wagner are getting better as a tag team, but they're not nowhere close to Imperium, and they're not going to take the championships off of them. We go to Indy Hartwell in Persia, standing outside of the medical room as Dexter is getting his hand checked out. Indy and Persia are supposed to have a match coming up, but Indy wants to be with her husband. And so Persia tells her to go ahead, be in there with your husband. I got this. So 
they hug each other. Indy goes in there to be next to Dexter, and Persia's just standing on the outside, just smiling because she knows she got what it takes to handle whatever she got coming up to her next. We get a bat. We get a lashing out leg uh, segment from Lash uh, Legend, and the whole segment is basically for Grayson Waller to come out and interrupt. And Grayson Waller's whole main mission here is to talk about how the veterans are upset at the young upcoming guys in NXT that didn't pay their dues, they didn't uh, drive out to gyms to work for a hot dog and a handshake. That that old time of tradition is done with. That DIY era of NXT is dead and gone. And this business is no longer about wins and losses. It's about how many followers you get and how many likes you get on your social media page. So this is proving my point that I've been saying for the past two or three weeks. NXT is building up for a legit uh, new school versus old school, the new guard versus the old guard. And this is just proving my point right here with Grayson Waller talking about the older vets being out of here. You had Tony D'Angelo couple weeks ago talking about how he would beat up Pete Dunn, uh Kyle O'Reilly, uh Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. I mean, you got even Carmelo Hayes calling his belt the North American Championship the championship, the A belt, and he's calling this uh show, the NXT show, the show, because he is the A champion and that he's the man. And that everybody else falls right behind him. So this is showing you that, okay, we're building up for a new school versus old school. I'm not sure it's going to happen at NXT uh, War Games. That's where it should happen because that's where this is all revving up to. But if it doesn't, I hope they drag this out a little bit longer so they can at least uh, get in contact with old NXT wrestlers that they can bring back to be at this uh, event to to kindly shine a light onto some new young upcoming NXT talent. If not, go to War Games and just take care of it and get it done with. After this, now it's time for the handicap match of Persia going against two uh, enhancement talent women. And Persia wins the match when she has one of the ladies with a fireman uh, spin-out slam for the win. However, the one thing to note in this match, however, is that in the middle of the match, you had... uh, God, what's my name? Robert Stone in the middle of the ramp staring at Persia. So we're going to see, might see Persia join in with um, Robert Stone and create the new Robert Stone brand. If so, cool. If not, do something with Robert Stone. Robert Stone is too charismatic. He's too funny. You can do something with him instead of always trying to have him being recruiting female talent. And I understand that's what we're supposed to be doing, but Robert Stone could help out some other like guy talent because Robert Stone is just that good that he can easily help out a guy's a career instead of always being lashed on to a female's career. That's just my personal opinion. We've seen it too many times now. He had Aaliyah. Failed. He had Mercedes Martinez for a short period of time. Failed. He had, um, God, Taya Valkyrie, Frankie Monet. Failed. He had, uh, God, what's her name? What's her name that just got released as well with her? Uh, I can't remember her name right now, but God, he had her. She failed. I mean, they keep on putting Robert Stone with so many female athletes and keep on failing after failing. Let's try a dude athlete. Let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work, hey, you at least tried it. You can't just keep on going back to that exact same well that keeps on failing you every time with Robert Stone with female talent. Now we go backstage and we have Dakota Kai being interviewed. And she mentions how she has basically lost herself since she had her match with Raquel Gonzalez at NXT TakeOver 36. 
in that she hasn't been in her right frame way, frame of mind. She mentioned that tonight she plans on purging her past with Raquel Gonzalez for good. Toxic Attraction interrupts this backstage interview, and Mandy hopes that Dakota will end Raquel Gonzalez for good. Dakota looks at Mandy and tells her, you would like that, wouldn't you? That would be perfect to protect that and starts pointing at the NXT Women's Championship. And she mentions to Mandy that you not only owe me once, but you will owe me twice. And she walks away. Gigi and JC were about to attack Dakota Kai, but Mandy has to hold them off so Dakota can do what she has to do. You start seeing Grizzly Young Veterans walk over to Toxic Attraction to hand them back their tag team championships. They say that they saw some equipment guys took the championships and face on their mom about becoming champions. And then you hear the Toxic Attraction call that pathetic and you start seeing them walk away. And again, to prove my point, um, Zach Gibson tells James Drake, see, I, you just got to put the truth somewhere close to a lie. And it basically, it all goes out to being the same thing. Because he's true. Some guys did take the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. They did it to FaceTime their well, their grandmother, which Grizzly Young Veterans did. The only thing they lied about is that it was equipment, guys, but it wasn't. It was them. So I'm telling you, this is Guerrero Tactic 101 that we're trying to put on to the Grizzly Young Veterans. I hope people people see this just then just me. If not, just look at the Guerrero's uh segments in 2002, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. If not 2002, 2003. I know it's one of those two. Anyway, now we go backstage to Tommaso Ciampa in the chair. He's holding the NXT Championship, and he talked about how he's defended that NXT Championship, and he's the greatest NXT Champion. He's held the NXT Championship with honor and integrity. He then proceeds to talk about how this new crop of talent in NXT doesn't have that integrity and honor, and he stops. And he says that, you know what, I'm about to go to the ring right now and start saying people's names. So he slams the chair and he starts walking out to the ring. He gets the microphone and he mentions how people like Carmelo are trying to convince himself that he is the A champion. But he knows that if Carmelo tries to shoot his shot over at me, he's going to miss and it's going to be an air ball. He talks about how Grayson Waller mentions how Grayson thinks he's above uh, driving for a handshake and a hot dog. And paying his dues. Then you get Tommaso about to mention Tony D'Angelo, but Braun Breaker interrupts him and Braun enters the ring. He tells Tommaso that you did the exact same thing when you came into NXT. So you can't be mad at these guys doing that. And Braun says, You shouldn't be worried about them anyway. You should be worried about me because I'm going to be the guy that takes that NXT championship off your shoulder. Tommaso mentions to Braun that, Okay, I think that you need to probably need to watch this footage that you that we have of you and they played a footage of Tommaso beating Braun Breaker at Halloween Havoc Tommaso mentions how Braun has a 33 and one third percent chance of not even taking the title off of him and that's going back to a callback to Scott Steiner's infamous TNA promo which he tries to do math and he was making up all kinds of numbers if you don't know just type in Scott Steiner uh, math promo and you'll get it he, calls, he then proceeds to call Braun Breaker a puppy, and he says that he is the NXT champion and walks away. Remember, his father, Rick Steiner, dog-faced gremlin, a dog, and before you become a full-blown dog, you're a puppy, so there you go. He ties it in full all the way through. So again, we're going up to 
New school versus old school. I'm telling you, War Games is going to be new school versus old school. I was wrong on probably Dexter Loomis because he's got a hand injury now. So it'll probably be, what, Tommaso, uh, Pete Dunn, Johnny Gargano, and probably one more other member going against, well, now it seems to me is going to be, well, rewind that back. Tommaso, Pete Dunn, Johnny Gargano, LA Knight going against Carmelo Hayes, Braun Breaker, Tony D'Angelo, and instead of Trick Williams, I have a feeling they're going to put Grayson Waller in there just to because he disrespected the old vets. So I can see them doing that uh, at War Games. Again, that's just my picks of who I think is going to be on the men's side of the War Games because, again, it's coming up to new school versus old school, especially for the men's side. So that's just my thoughts. Anyway, now it's time for the main event of NXT, and it's Raquel Gonzalez going against Dakota Kai. Raquel wins the match by disqualification when Toxic Attraction comes down and attacks Raquel from behind. Dakota joins in, so now it's a 4-on-1 beat down on Raquel until Cora J comes running down to make the save, and uh, Cora was able to hold her own for a couple minutes until the numbered game gives up on her, and now it's 4-on-2, and it's still Toxic Attraction in Dakota Kai's game, and they beat up on both Raquel and Cora Jade until Zoe Stark's music hits, and she comes down to the ring, but she's on crutches. So now you got Toxic Attraction, Dakota Kai mocking uh, Zoe Stark until Io Shirai's music hits. Io Shirai comes down to the ramp, grabs Zoe's crutch, gets in the ring and starts wailing on every member of Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai with the crutches. Now this gives Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jane some time to breathe. And once they do, they get up and they help Io Shirai take care of Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai, send them out of the ring. And Io Shirai gets the microphone, and she just says two words, War Games. You get the fans cheering, so now we got our match for War Games. It's going to be Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai going against Io Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez, Cora Jade, and a mystery partner. We got to figure out who that mystery partner is. They'll probably announce it next week on NXT, but that's where it's going to lead to for the NXT women's uh, match. At War Games, those four women, Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai, going against Raquel Gonzalez, Cora J, Io Shirai, and a mystery partner. The mystery, I would like to know, would probably be KLR, Kaylee Ray, but we'll happen to see whenever that happens because remember, Kaylee Ray wants a shot at that NXT Women's Championship and it could make all the sense in the world to put her on that team. But we'll happen to see whenever that happens next uh, week. But with that, that is NXT. Now it's time for AEW. AEW opens up with the Super Elite, which consists of Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Adam Cole. Kenny Omega informs everybody that he's going to be uh, taking some time away to nurse some of his injuries that he's uh, sustained. And he looks towards the Young Bucks and Adam Cole, and he asks the Young Bucks to basically hold it down, hold the fort down. Adam Cole steps up and tells Kenny, trust me, I'll be able to lead it, everything, and we're going to hold it down. Kenny kind of scoffs a little bit, and he says, I wasn't talking to you, Adam. I was talking to the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks has to interject to say, yeah, yeah, we'll handle it. The Super Elite is going to be fine. We're going to be holding out AEW while you're gone, while you're nursing yourself up. That little segment opens up the window for whenever Kenny comes back. Him and Adam Cole is going to have a showdown. That's happening. You already see it in the woodworks right now with that little interjection between the two. But while he's gone, we're going to see Adam Cole starting to lead the Super Elite 
They're gonna he's going to lead them, and if anything, he's going to become basically the new essential leader since Kenny Omega is out of here. Now on to the next subject, we get to the in-ring celebration of the new AEW World Champion, Adam Page, and he's surrounded by the Dark Order. He is elated to be the World Champion. You get the whole fans doing the whole chant, the constant chant that they do when they get a new World Champion or a new champion in general. They say, you deserve it. They start chanting it. Adam Page has to stop him and say, I didn't deserve nothing. I earned it. And then you start getting the fans chant, you earned it, you earned it. He talks about what this championship means. He says he knows this championship has a lot of prestige, a lot of honor, a lot of dignity, and he's going to try to uh, uphold all those of core values, especially since he has to go against Brian Danielson next. And as soon as he says Brian Danielson's name, Brian Danielson comes out of the entrance ramp and he comes down walking down the ramp and gets into the ring. Brian Danielson now has a microphone in his hands and he tells Adam Page, that he congratulates him, and that, if anything, the only thing that he regrets out of this whole win is that he thought that he would be facing Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship. Page tells Brian that, well, that's not happening because I beat Kenny Omega, and I also did it in under 30 minutes. He's referring back to whenever Brian Danielson had his match with Kenny Omega at Grand Slam in New York, and they went to a 30-minute time limit draw, and Brian Danielson couldn't put down Kenny Omega. Brian then mentions to Hangman that, you know what, you're out here flapping your gums, celebrating, and I don't see you wrestling tonight. And if that's the type of world champion that you want to be, that's fine. Because whenever I won the world championship at WrestleMania, and yes, he did say WrestleMania on an AEW product, he said that he wrestled the next day. Brian Danielson started getting massive boos from the AEW crowd when he mentioned WrestleMania because in AEW and also in WWE, well, the fans have a kind of allegiance, a they versus them type situation. If you're an AEW fan, you got to be loyal to AEW and you boo everything WWE is doing and vice versa if you're a WWE fan, which I believe is completely stupid, but I care, but I digress. Uh, Brian is starting to get boos and he starts to say that, yeah, this that's coming from Virginia. Yep, that seems about right, right, because Virginia knows nothing about hard work. So Brian is going full, like, dickhead mode right now he's not even trying to even hide it anymore he's just being a straight up narcissist at this exact moment Paige says that you know what i can wrestle you tonight and it could be for the world championship brian asks the fans do you want to see me go against Kangman page for the world championship the fans started doing the whole yes yes brian steps away back and he says you know what i don't want to take that world title off of you because when i entered aew people told me that you have a whole lot of excuses and whenever I beat you, I don't want there to be no excuses. I want to face the best Hangman Adam Page. Hangman says, you know what? That's fine. But I can still fight you right now. So now you get Hangman and Brian Danielson going head to head, literally head to head. And then you have the Dark Order separate the two. And once they get separated, you have Brian Bo- get the microphone and he say, yep, that's what you wanted. You wanted your friends to separate me and you because you know what? If they weren't here, you wouldn't even be able to beat me up. And then as soon as he says this, you give a couple seconds later, Hangman rush right through the Dark Order, and he starts going after. He hits a double leg hook on Brian Danielson, takes him down, starts punching him. So now we get to commercial break, and once we come back, everybody has left the ring except Brian Danielson and Evil Uno, and it's time for their match. Brian Danielson wins the match by referee stoppage. Uh, Brian hits the running knee on Uno. 
then grabs both of Uno's arms and starts stomping on his head. And as he's doing this, you can tell Iwo Uno is completely unconscious as Brian is like literally putting those stomps. And I mean, he's stomping homeboy out in the face. And then he locks Uno into a triangle choke. And the referee immediately calls for the bell because she sees Uno's lifeless body just dangling right there. And Brian Danson doesn't let go of the hold. You have, he gets to the count of basically up to four. And then he lets go of the hold. And then he just gets up and has his arms in the air. So Brian Danson has effectively literally turned into a heel. He's a bad guy now. Um, Tony Schiavone gets in the ring and now he's interviewing Brian Danielson. And Brian Danielson grabs the mic from Tony. And he says originally when he came out here to congratulate Hangman Adam Page, that's all he wanted to do. But now since Adam Page is doing this and he's making this personal now, every member of the Dark Order is going to get their head kicked in until I get my match with Adam Page. And then he throws out the challenge to Cocobana since Dynamite's going to be in Chicago next week. And Cocobana's a part of the Dark Order. So Brian Danson is planning on making a do with his promise. He's planning on uh, cashing in on his promise to kick every member of the Dark Order's heads in until he gets his match with Heyman Adam Page. After this, we get a video from uh, MJF after his match with Darby Allin at Full Gear. And the main point of this is that MJF is here that you always get to hear about certain guys in the AEW roster that are great technical wrestlers or great wrestlers in general. And he starts listing them off. CM Punk, the Malachi Black, the Brian Danielsons, the Cody Rhodes, the Kenny Omega, the Chris Jericho's. And he says, and such. But he says, tonight, I proved everybody wrong. That not only am I good on the microphone, but I can get it done in the ring. And that I am truly better than everybody else in the locker room, everybody else in this whole entire world. And he says that it... He relished in seeing every single person out there have to give him his props because it pains them to do it, but they had to do it and they all cheered for me wrestling out there. And he says that whenever Dynamite hits around Virginia, I'm going to be out there and who knows what might happen. So after that video plays, we get Eddie Kingston in a backstage interview with Tony Giovanni and before Eddie could even say anything, you hear 2.0 and Danny Garcia interrupt Eddie Kingston 2.0 say that they're tired of hearing Eddie Kingston continuously whine and complain every single week and they mentioned that Eddie Kingston couldn't even last that long in the ring with CM Punk as their son Daniel Garcia was able to last with them Eddie Kingston gets right in the face of Daniel Garcia and tells uh, 2.0 to shut up and he looks at Daniel Garcia and says I can't respect you because you allow these two men to call you their son and you're from New York, and I know you. So these two are getting head-to-head, and Kingston shows Daniel Garcia. 2.0 gets in between Garcia and Eddie Kingston. So you know Kingston is going to have a feud or at least some type of thing with Daniel Garcia. And Kingston is still reeling from the loss that he got from CM Punk. So if anything, we're probably going to see a more vicious side to Kingston. But I think Daniel Garcia, with the help of 2.0, is, are going to beat Eddie Kingston, whenever their match happens, it wasn't announced that it was going to be a rampage or anything. It might happen next week. Who knows? It was never announced. But uh, just know, somewhere down the line, we're going to get Kingston going against Daniel Garcia. After this segment, we get the tag team match of the Butcher and the Blade with the Bunny and Matt Hardy in their corner going against Orange Cassidy and the never open weight champion from New Japan Professional Wrestling, uh, Tomohiro Ishii. And in their corner, it was the best friends, which consists of uh, Chuck Taylor, Wheeler Yuta, and uh, Chris Statlander with Rocky Romero. The last thing I forgot to mention to you guys last week was that it was informed that the best friends are now a part of the Chaos Stable in 
New Japan. And let me give you some backstory on this. Chaos is head by uh, Kazush- Kazushka Okada, and they have so many members, Rocky Romero, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, uh, Yoshihashi, um, Hiroki Goto, just so many other members in New Japan that you probably might see somewhere down the line in AEW since the relationship with AEW and New Japan are so clicked up that if we happen to see more Chaos members just to team up with uh, the best friends because Matt Hardy, Stable, the HFO have so many members, just know it probably might be some more people just coming in just to help out best friends out of the Chaos Stable. Anyway, Tomohiro Ishii wins the match for his team. Whenever Tomohiro was able to hit a stalling brain buster on the blade for the win. Solid match. There's none I could complain about here. There's none I could say, oh my god, it was so great. No, it was just a solid tag team match. I'm just happy that we were able to see uh, Tomohiro in AEW. And we're still able to see that New Japan relationship still build with AEW. And if anything, what I want out of this also is Wrestle Kingdom is slowly approaching in January. And there's a three-day event. Uh, I believe it's the 4th, the 5th, and the 8th. I'm hoping that we start seeing some AEW guys fly over to Japan and get to show off there because it's always seemed like it's one-sided right now. Yeah, sure, you get AEW stars on the New Japan, like Strong and that type of little programming, but I want them to be on the main stage. I want them to be uh, promoted and highlighted on actual Japan territory in these big events because, again, it seems like it's just one-sided to me. In New Japan, wrestlers go to AEW, and AEW gets the little highlight, the little shine off of the uh, guys that's coming over, even though New Japan is still needing some of that shine themselves over in North America because they lost a whole lot of that whenever their uh, TV deal with, I believe, Access went away. Now they're on, like, Roku. But, again, New Japan just needs that rub from AEW, as AEW is basically getting the rub from New Japan as well because you're going to want all these big massive stars that you basically couldn't get because some of them are so loyal to New Japan that they're staying with New Japan like a Jay White or uh Okada or even a Will Ospreay that now since you have an open relationship with them you might get them over in New Japan not New Japan but in AEW to do like a couple shots there and they even build off of a, a feud here and there but that's besides the point. We'll get to that whenever they actually do do it. I just want AEW wrestlers to actually go to New Japan and actually get to showcase themselves and like really submit that, okay, we actually have a partnership instead of just having like your usual suspects of Moxley going over to a, like New Japan. And I think that's the only one that I'm really thinking that goes over to New Japan, like in Japan. I mean, Jericho technically, but like Moxley was like the last, last one. So I'm hoping for more guys to go over there. Anyway, back to AEW. After this, we get Tony Schiavone in the backstage area with FTR and Andrade. Andrade says that he already proven that he's a better wrestler than both Cody and Pac because he's beaten both of them separately. He's still reeling off of the fact that him and Malachi Black lost at full gear. And Andrade takes off his glasses and say now he will show them his bad side. That I didn't like that line. That was stupid. Uh, Dash Wheeler, Dash uh, Hardwood then comes into play and he says that uh, FTR was supposed to make history at full gear, but they got robbed whenever they uh, lost their match, but they technically didn't lose because Dash wasn't the right guy. Axe was the uh, legal man. So they throw out the challenge for next week's episode on Dynamite, FTR, Andrade, and Malachi Black going against Cody, Pack and the Lucha Brothers, and it does get announced later in the night that that match will be happening next week on Dynamite. 
After this, we get a video playing of Ty Conti. Ty Conti mentions that she learned from her match with Britt Baker at Full Gear that this was her first match on pay-per-view and that the next time she has a title shot opportunity, she will come out as your new champion. Then we get a backstage interview with uh, Britt Baker, Rebel, Jamie Hayter with Tony Schiavone. Britt Baker mentioned that she's tired of carrying the women's division on her shoulder. It says that now, being the role model that she is, she's going to be putting a spotlight onto somebody that will be the new or, or better yet, your next uh, TBS champion, Jamie Hayter. Tony Schiavone asks, okay, what about Thunder Rosa? Because it's Jamie Hayter supposed to be going against Thunder Rosa next in the tournament. Britt tells Tony, don't ever mention that name again on Britt TV. Britt says that Thunder Rosa will be irrelevant when Jamie beats her on her way to become the TBS champion. And she does her whole Dr. Britt Baker DMD line to finish that off. After this, we go to in-ring competition. TBS Championship uh, Tournament quarterfinals of Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero in her corner going against Hokaru Shida. Uh, Nyla wins the match by submission thanks to Serena Deed because when the match was on commercial break and picture in picture, Shida was beating up on Nyla Rose. Shida was actually dominating the match until uh, Serena comes out of nowhere and attacks Shida in her bad knee. And this allows Nyla Rose to, by the end of the match, lock in the stretch muffler on uh, Hukaru Shida and Shida just taps out. So now uh, Nyla will be now advancing to the semifinals of the TBS Championship uh, tournament. After this match, we get a video of Malachi Black. Malachi basically accepts that he will be on uh, FTR and Andrade's team next week. And he says that his team will destroy Cody and his team and they will take all the oxygens out of their bodies. So they need to appreciate every bit of oxygen that they can breathe for right now. After this, now it's time for MJF, Sean Spears, and Warlow to go out to the in-ring. And it's time for MJF's in-ring promo. MJF calls himself the greatest wrestler on the planet. He says that he will be the man that starts a bidding war between companies in the year 2024, because that's whenever MJF's contract's supposed to be up. MJF says that uh, he starts mentioning the AEW rankings, doesn't show the true numbers, because MJF is the great one. He's one of the greatest superstars in the back stage he's one of the greatest wrestlers just basically in AEW and he says that nobody in the backstage is on his level nobody is one no wrestler back there is basically on his level and as soon as he hits that line you hear CM Punk's music hits CM Punk walks down the ramp and you hear the fans start cheering for Punk obviously but you hear much more cheers than you usually would and what I mean is because we have been clamoring, the internet wrestling community has been clamoring for the day that a CM Punk will go against MGF, at least on the microphone, because CM Punk is a great heel. Well, he's a great professional wrestling talker. He can sell you into buying a pay-per-view. He can sell you into the arena to watch his matches. The same thing with MGF. MGF is a great professional wrestler that you love to hate. That's just what it is with MJF. So both of those men just having a promo war of world, a war of words against one another. That's one of uh, wrestling fans' greatest dreams. And now we're basically going to get it now. That's great. So as soon as Punk gets into the ring, MJF just looks at him and he tells Sean Spears, don't do anything. And you just get to embrace that moment. They don't say nothing to each other. You hear the fans just chant, uh, CM Punk or this is awesome because they know what they expect out of these two men. And MJF just says, hi, my name is MJF. And he extends his hand out to CM Punk. 
and CM Punk just stares up and down on MJF, and CM Punk just hits a little laugh and smirk and turns his back to MJF and walks out of the ring, and he starts walking up the ramp, and MJX, MJF is looking perplexed at Punk just basically brushing him off like he's nothing. So now you start to see CM Punk play mind games with MJF, and I'm telling you right now, if anything, Punk is going to really rev it up on MJF because Punk knows <clears throat> how to get in the head of somebody because Punk, again, is one of the greatest uh, in-ring talkers, and he's going to really mess with uh, MJF because here's a little backstory here. There's a photo going around of MJF whenever he was a young child out of a photo uh, meeting greet with CM Punk, and you got CM Punk taking a photo with young MJF, so best believe Punk's going to talk about that and talk about how CM, how uh, MJF was so happy to meet him and all this type of stuff, so CM Punk's going to basically sun MJF in this promo battle, and this is going to lead to MJF really just probably just snapping off on Punk, and I can't wait to see it. After this, we get Tony Schiavone again backstage, and he's interviewing Darby Allen. Darby Allen says that MGF didn't break him mentally and that he knows he's going to have a match with MGF somewhere down the line, but he doesn't know when. So then Darby then goes on to say that he won't take any time off and he's going to start going against the biggest and baddest guys in AEW. And that's when the gun club walks open, walks over to Darby and the gun club consists of Billy Gunn, his son, Austin Gunn and his other son, Colton Gunn. Billy Gunn says that he overheard what Darby said. So he accepts Darby's challenge. And he says, and no, 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 he doesn't say anything after that. His other sons, Colton says something, and then Austin says something to Darby. I think Austin basically uh, says that I like turtles, basically referring to Darby as the I like turtles kid. It was stupid and uh, moronic, but it got me chuckling a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, the match does get confirmed on Rampage of Darby Allen going against Billy Gunn. After this, we get another super click uh, backstage uh, segment. They mentioned how at full gear, this was the worst night of their uh, whole careers. And he mentioned, Adam Cole mentioned that, you know what? We're going to put that off to the side because super, the super click is going to be stronger than ever. Because at Rampage, we're going to finally finish off Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And Adam Cole then brings in Bobby Fish. And Fish says they're going to put an end to the drastic failure. And that is on, and Matt has to stop him. It says we don't we don't do that here. And Nick tells Brandon to cut it. If you don't know, Bish was about Fish was about to say undisputed and throw up the actual UE hand sign, meaning the undisputed era, the group that Adam Cole, Kyle Riley, Bobby Fish, and Roderick Strong were in in NXT. So they're still trying to make the assumption that Cole and Fish are still together, and Fish is now part of the super click as Kenny's kind of on the way, not on the way out, but just taking a break. So this is also setting in for either Kyle O'Reilly to come in whenever his contract's up in December because his contract truly is up. And there has not been no confirmation of if he's staying with WWE or not. If I was Kyle, I would not. I would be getting myself out of there as fast as I can. Because again, we have seen what WWE is capable of doing. You sign a new contract, they fire you, and then you got to be home for literally 90 days. But Kyle O'Reilly's on the NXT contract, so he'll be home for 30 days if they happen to fire him. If he doesn't sign anything and he wastes his contract out until December, he can literally show up on AEW Dynamite anytime he feels like. And I can't wait for either confirmation he signs with WWE or 
he pops up on Dynamite and you get literally the original Undisputed Era back together. But we'll just have to wait and see whenever that happens. After this uh, backstage segment, we get the tag team match of The Acclaimed going against Dante Martin and Leah Rush. Leah Rush wins the uh, match for his team when Dante Martin hits the double springboard moonsault onto Anthony Bowens. And then Leah Rush hits his frog splash on Anthony Bowens for the win. After the match, Team Taz comes out on the stage and they gave uh, Leah Rush their condolences for his grandmother passing. And Taz tells Leo that this whole trying to sign Dante Martin isn't personal. It's just business. And Ricky grates the microphone and says that either Dante Martin can join Team Taz and his career will skyrocket or he can just basically stay mediocre. And he points at basically Leo Rush. So Dante Martin has a choice to make. Will he join Team Taz? Will he stay with Leo Rush? We don't know. More or less, he's probably going to stay with Leo Rush, and we're going to get Team Taz going against Leo and Dante, leading to his brother coming back into the mix. But we'll have to see whenever that comes to play. After this match, we get Christian Cage and Jurassic Express backstage. And basically, the meaning of this whole segment is that they accept the uh, tag team uh, challenge that will be up on Rampage. So it will be Drew Lucha, uh, Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, going against Bobby Fish and Adam Cole on Rampage, and it was confirmed. Now it's time for the main event of the TNT Championship match of Sammy Guevara defending his title against the newly signed Jay Lethal. Sammy Guevara wins the match by pinfall when he was able to hit the GTH on Jay Lethal to get the win as a hard-fought match. I mean, you got two incredible athletes, one, like, 19-year veteran going against a one of the... Uh, like newer pillars of AEW and Sammy Guevara and you had this incredible match between the two and you have Sammy just being more elevated to increase the stock of Sammy Guevara and more or less probably still distance himself off a little bit from the inner circle whenever his time is to break out from the inner circle after the match the inner circle does come out they celebrate with Guevara for still retaining his TNT championship Guevara walks over to Jay Lethal they shake hands and that's what you get. But also, I want to add in this. Tony Nese was in the uh, he was in the audience when this match was happening. And the camera pans over to Tony Nese. And Tony Nese just, he's not impressed. So we're going to see Tony Nese going against Sammy Guevara. And if Tony Nese takes the belt off of Sammy, I don't know how to feel about that. I really don't. Because I know what Tony Nese can do. He's a capable professional wrestler. He's able to do high flying. If he wants to go power game with Sammy, he can do that. But... I just believe that that TNT championship is like reserved a little bit for like the AEW talent. I need a couple more AEW talent guys to hold that belt before you transfer it over to somebody that kind of got recruited into AEW. So that's just my whole thing. Unless they get a credible like person from outside to win the belt for off of Sammy. Like um, if they happen to sign what I don't know, let's say uh, Jonathan Gresham, I'll be cool with that. Or they sign, uh, I don't know, uh, who else is out here? Um, Shane Taylor. I'll be cool with that. But, I mean, just certain guys I'm cool with, certain guys I'm not. Tony Nese, eh, he's just not there yet. But, anyway, that was your AEW Dynamite results of the week. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with a one-on-one competition between Steve Macklin and Laredo Kidd. If Steve Macklin wins, he's will be added to the X Division Championship match at Turning Point with Laredo Kid and Trey McGill turning it into a triple threat match. And if he doesn't, Steve Macklin will not be at the pay-per-view. 
Steve Macklin wins the match, and so he's added, and he wins the match by pinfall when he has Laredo Kid in the tree of woe and runs over to him and spears him in the gut, then picks Laredo Kid up, hits him with mayhem for all to win the match. I want to say this right now. Macklin was in WWE. He wasn't on television as much, and now since he's been released and he's been an impact, I'm glad that he's actually able to wrestle again when you're in WWE you got to perform the way they tell you to perform and you got to do what they say you can do even if you're a talented and gifted wrestler like some of the wrestlers that we've seen before you kind of handcuffed a little bit you only can go and do butts so much unless you're in NXT like the original version of NXT like 20 what 14 through what 2020 or even late like early 2021 that's whenever you actually got way able to at least do what you wanted to do and like wrestling wise. But other than that, in WWE, you you're handcuffed a little bit unless you get like big time matches and then Vince lets you go. But since Macklin has been in impact, Macklin has been able to show everybody he can wrestle, he can do what he do, and I'm glad to see him here. After this, we get a video playing of what happened um before Impact started on BTI, and that was Brian Myers attacking Sam Beal after Sam beat him on BTI. Uh, Brian hit Sam in the gut with a steel chair, and then grabbed Sam uh, by the head and put Sam's throat on the head of the steel chair, and then rammed the chair into the mat, which basically means uh, Sam's throat got slammed hard onto the uh, head of the chair, so Sam is holding his neck because now he can't breathe, and Brian Myers goes outside of the ring, grabs another chair, puts that chair on top of uh, Sam's head, and then he hits Sam with a uh, chair on top of the head, which means he hit him with a chair toe. Rich Swan and Willie Mack then runs down to the ring, and Brian leaves the ring, but the damage has already been done. So now we got Sam Beal on a stretcher, and they tow him to the back. And now we're backstage, and we have Sam Beal waiting for the ambulance to come. Rich Swan is there with uh, Sam, and so is Willie Mack. Rich Swan looks to the camera and tells Brian, This is how it's supposed to go here at Impact. We don't do this here. And he ends up throwing out a challenge to Brian uh, Myers for a match at Turning Point. And it gets confirmed. So we would get Willie Mack, not Willie Mack, but Rich Swan going against uh, Brian Myers at Turning Point. After this, we get a backstage promo from the X Division champion, Trey Miguel. Trey Miguel talks about how Steve Magler has cried and complained to get into his match with Laredo Kid. He ended up getting that opportunity tonight and winning. So. At turning point, he's going to make it his mission to beat Steve Macklin so Macklin cannot complain about never being pinned or submitted ever again and also retain his X Division Championship. After this, we get Ace Austin and Madman Fulton backstage and they're interviewed by Gia and Ace is uh, brought to the attention that he hasn't answered Chris Saban's challenge. Saban says he doesn't accept Chris Saban's challenge. He says he doesn't gain anything by being Chris Saban again. Chris Saban interrupts him and says that Ace is supposed to be the future of this company. And walking around with a stupid shirt that says, I be Chris Saban, is stupid. He says that using big dumb guys like Madman Fulton to win your matches isn't going to get you anywhere. And now you got Chris Saban insisting on a rematch. Ace Austin ultimately accepts and says, why wait for turning point where we can start right now? Ace throws a punch at Chris Saban, but Chris was able to counter it and punch Ace in the face. Now you get Madman Fulton jumping in and attacks Chris Saban. So now it's a two-on-one beatdown until Saban was able to uh, turn around in his uh, best interest whenever he's able to lock Madman Fulton into a freezer. And then you see Ace Austin run away. We go back to in-ring competition. Now, now it's a tag team match between the Inspiration 
going against the Undead Brides, Kimberly and Brandy Loren. The Inspiration win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag team finish, which is a back suplex slash powerbomb combination on Brandy to win the match. After the match, Decay, the whole group, which consists of Black Taurus, Crazy Steve, Rosemary, and Havoc, come walking to the ring and enter the ring, and now they're surrounding the Inspiration inside the ring. The Inspiration drops on the mat, and they drop their championships, and you hear one of them just start yelling because they're afraid of, well, Decay. Rosemary and Havoc pick up the Knockouts Tag Team Championships, and then they hold them over their heads to send out the message that they're going to win back their championship at Turning Point this Saturday. After this, we get a backstage interview with Chelsea Green and Matt Cardona. Chelsea talks about being the number one contender for the Digital Media Championship. She says that she once she saw that championship, she knew she had to have it, and she says when she wants something, she always gets it. So we're probably going to see Chelsea Green probably do some uh, dastardly, probably to beat Jordan Grace to win that championship. Uh, she will be wrestling Jordan Grace at the countdown to Turning Point, which is basically like the show before Turning Point, so like their uh, pre-show. Matt Cardona is then asked what's next for him since he lost last week's Triple Threat in the Milwaukee Contenders match. Cardona mentions that whoever is the champion after Turning Point, whether it be Moose or Eddie Edwards, he's next in line because he's always ready. W. Morrissey walks in on this and tells Cardona that he isn't next in line, no matter if he's always ready, and Morrissey is in his way, so there's no way Cardona's going to get that shot. Cardona laughs and says, you're in my way, huh? And he says, I'll see you at Turning Point, and leaves. So we also get confirmation that W. Morrissey will be going against Matt Cardona at Turning Point. Eddie Edwards is then backstage, and he's about to be interviewed about his match with Moose. Eddie Edwards talks about his history with Moose, how Moose uh, laid his hands on his wife, how Moose is trying to uh, break his neck, and out from behind him, Moose comes and attacks Eddie Edwards. So now you got these two men fighting backstage, and then they start fighting. Uh, They bring their fight from the backstage to in front of the fans, so they're fighting on the stage, and then they bring the fight down to the ring. Moose picks up Eddie with a Uranagi and slams him on the ring apron. Moose then picks up Eddie again and powerbombs him on the apron. And now Eddie is just in excruciating pain holding his lower back as Moose goes around the ring to grab a table from under the ring and sets it up. Moose then walks back over to Eddie, who now has a steel chair in his hands, and Moose straight up just big boots Eddie directly in the face. Moose then grabs the chair that Eddie had and puts Eddie's head in between the chair and then rams Eddie's head right into the ring post. Now you got Eddie laying his head right on the table. Moose goes underneath the ring to grab this, another steel chair. And he goes to swing it at Eddie's head, and he misses Eddie's head. When Eddie moves his head out of the way, Moose uh, swings the chair on the table, and the vibration sends a uh, shock through Moose's hands. You see Moose just like drops the chair. Eddie takes the chair that's wrapped around his neck, takes it off of him, and throws it into Moose's face, and it connects Moose's uh, face. Now you got Moose getting into the ring, and Eddie Edwards following behind him. These two continue to fight until Moose gets hit with a tiger bomb by Eddie Edwards. Moose starts rolling out of the ring, and he's sitting on the ring apron, and Eddie sees him, and he runs over and hits Moose with a Boston knee party, and now Moose is laid out on the table. And Eddie Edwards goes outside of the ring and grabs a ladder. Then he sets up the ladder inside the ring. He climbs all the way up to the top, and he's about to jump off the ladder onto the table, but Moose sees this, he gets off the table, he starts walking up the ramp, and to the back. Now we have a camera following Moose backstage, 
and Moose talks directly into the camera. He says that Eddie wants to play. Fine. Eddie is messing with the most dominant champion in wrestling. And Moose claims that Eddie thinks I'm evil now. Wait until turning point and you'll see how evil I am. Scott Demore overhears this. He walks over to Moose and informs him that since he wants to play with tables, chairs, and ladders, his match with Eddie Edwards now at turning point will be a full metal mayhem match for the world championship. Now we get a Mercedes Martinez backstage promo. She says that her and Mickey know each other so well and that Mickey should have known that attack was coming. Mercedes claims that she is here to win championships and that's what she's going to do at turning point and become the new knockouts champion. We go now to in-ring competition. It's Hikaleo with Chris Bay and El Fantasmo going against Doc Gallows with Carl Anderson in his corner. Doc Gallows wins the match by pinfall when he has a double-handed uh, sit-out chokeslam for the win. After this, we get Deanna Perrazzo, uh backstage interview, and she's followed with Matt through uh, Ray Wall, and they're both wearing black. They're basically in mourning over Deanna, still have a losing uh, that knockouts championship at Battle for Glory. Deanna mentions that she's been home these past month, and she's just been uh, collecting herself and just like trying to figure out how things went wrong. She is asked uh, when she's expected back. Deanna says that not everybody has a match each week, and she doesn't know when she'll be back. Gia mentions to Deanna that she requested this interview. Deanna has to correct her and says that I didn't ask for this interview. I'm contractually obligated to be here because Deanna just quickly just giving her these snap-off one-liner answers. Uh, she's then asked, don't you think you owe the fans that has been supporting you for the past year an explanation? Deanna says that you and the people don't deserve anything from me. She mentions that she's a former two-time knockoff champion. She is the virtuosa. She says that I possess the ability to analyze my mistakes and correct them. So you, Mickey James, and everybody else will have to wait and see what I do next. Deanna then gets up, and then Matthew follows her, and they leave out of this interview. Now we get a Finn Juice backstage promo. They mentioned there that they have been failing uh, these past couple weeks. They mentioned that they lost at Bound for Glory. They lost their uh, number one contenders tag team match last week against Bullet Club, and that they're all the way at the bottom. Juice tells David that they've lost before. They've been the biggest losers. As a matter of fact, they've been the lowest form of life on the New Japan roster. But they have won the World Tag League, and they're basically starting to get back on their rise up. Scott Demore overhears this, and he walks over to Finn Juice and reminds him that they are former Impact Tag Team Champions, and tells him just like he had to tell Josh Alexander that they just got to get uh, focused again, and tells him that in two days on the countdown to uh, Turning Point, which is basically the day, like the show before Turning Point again, their pre-show, they will be going against Decay in a tag team match, and hopefully this match will get them back on their right path to becoming uh, Impact Tag Team Champions. After this, we get a Violence by Design promo. Eric talks specifically about Rhino. He says, Rhino has experienced freedom, and he experienced the truth when he was with Violence by Design. Now he's turned his back on him, and he mentions how Heath and Rhino want them at Turning Point. Eric says that he's going to lay both Rhino and Heath on top of Rhino to build a monument on violence on the back of Rhino and his memories. Eric tells Rhino that he made the wrong choice, and at Turning Point, this will be done forever. After this, we get a six-man tag team match of Johnny Swinger, Hernandez, and Falaba going against the Demon 
And no, it's not Finn Balor. It is the demon from former WCW, like late, well, like late in WCW's career, like early 2000, like 2001 in 2000 ish. Demon, go and uh, Decay, which is Crazy Steve and Black Taurus. Uh, the demon wins the match by submission when he puts Johnny Swinger in a Cobra clutch, and Johnny just simply says, "I give up," and that's the end of this. We go backstage now. Uh, Jordan Grace's backstage interview. Jordan says that she respects Chelsea Green, but there's a reason she is the first digital media champion, and Chelsea isn't going to change that at Turning Point. We then get a Mickey James backstage promo. Mickey mentions that she should have saw that attack coming by Mercedes Martinez, but she didn't because she put her friendship in front of the business. But when it comes to Turning Point, there are no friends, and at Turning Point, Mercedes Martinez is better prepared to get her butt kicked. Now it's time for the main event of Minoru Suzuki going against Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander wins the match by pinfall. The finish of the match comes when Minoru Suzuki and Josh are trading blows elbow to elbow. Josh is able to hit Minoru Suzuki in the gut, get him for the C4 spike, which is basically the J-driller, and win the match that way. It was a good uh it was a good match between Minoru Suzuki and Josh Alexander. I mean Minoru Suzuki is up there in age, and it ain't like he can't do, like, strong-style hits. I expected, like, more, like, strikes between Alexander and Minoru Suzuki. But, hey, with Impact Wrestling, you got to, like, limitate some of your uh, things, especially whenever, like, they do TV tapings, like, back-to-back, so you can't really, like, throw everything and go balls to the walls like you can with AEW, which they tape, like, literally, they go live every week. AEW and Impact, nah, they tape a lot of shows all at one time for one day, and then they tape a lot of shows the next day, so you can't go all stupefied crazy and do whatever you want with all the strikes, literally in that exact same day, so I respect that, and knowing that, um, just knowing that these two even wrestled each other was a great thing, so I would suggest you just to watch the match, again, you don't get, they strike each other, but they're not going crazy strikes as you would expect when you hear about Josh Alexander going against Minoru Suzuki. But again, solid match, solid main event, and that was the end of Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with the Usos inside the ring, and inside the ring also with them are a royal crown, a scepter, a royal throne, and the royal cape. They basically took all of King Wood's um, props and have him inside the ring and they give Roman this big introduction they call him the royal uh, head of the table they call him the royal high chief the universal champion the head of the table all these big pompous circumstances nicknames and then royal uh, Roman and Paul Heyman come out and they walk down to the ring and then once uh, Roman gets into the ring he asks Paul what is all this Paul starts to fangirl out to Roman and tell him that he's been in the this situation has been in the works for the last week. Paul mentions that Roman is the one true king, not Xavier Woods, and it will never belong to Brock Lesnar or Big E, basically the king title. Roman then puts his hand out and Paul Heyman puts the microphone in Roman's hands. Roman asks Paul, "Who idea was this?" Paul points over at the Usos, and then you get the Usos again pointing at each other like two children pointing at, no, it's his idea, his idea. Roman is now starting to get a little bit aggravated, and he says that, you think I need all of this? 
He says, no, I don't need it. Roman says, the reason he took the crown from King Woods last week is because he can. Meaning that he's basically top dog and if uh, Xavier was going to do anything, he could try to do something about it. And out comes King Woods. Woods comes out and he gets on the microphone and schools Roman a whoop. It means to be a king. It doesn't mean that you're wearing a crown, a scepter, or cape. No, 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 no. What it means for you to be a king is doing what's best for the people, the WWE Universe. And then he throws out a challenge to Roman to meet him in the ring later tonight for a face-off confrontation between each other with no help behind Roman. Roman then acts... Woods, are you sure you don't care about the materialistic things? You sure about that? And Woods tell him, I don't care about it. So Roman then says, Jay. And Jay then breaks um, the royal scepter. Roman asks Woods again, are you sure you don't care about it? Woods don't answer, so he instructs Jay to do something again. Jay grabs the cape. He blows his nose on it. This is the same rinse and repeat cycle that continues to happen in which uh, Jay then grabs, well, Jay and Jimmy both grab the royal throne and then spike it and they break it and they throw it outside of the ring and then it gets to the crown and the camera pans over to Woods who's right now, he's putting on a brave face but you can see the tear roll down his eye and roll down his face because this is really killing him on the inside. He's not trying to give in to Roman's game. But then whenever Roman is talking about the crown, he asks Woods, are you sure you don't care about? You sure you don't care about this? Xavier doesn't say anything, and then Roman puts it on the ground, and he's about to stomp on it, but Woods runs inside. He can't take it anymore, and he's about to try to grab the crown. But as soon as he slides in, the Usos attack him, and they start putting the boots to him, and they stomp him out. Roman calls for the Usos to bring Xavier over to him. They hold him and they bring him close to uh, Roman. Roman tells Woods that he doesn't need props and that he's the only king around here. I'm the one. And then Roman puts the crown down and then stomps on it. It bends and then he grabs it and then he breaks it with his hands. And you just hear Woods just screaming and agony just to see his property get destroyed and you see Roman then grab Xavier's face and then smashes it into the broken crown and now Xavier is laid out on the mat and then you got the bloodline standing over Xavier's body just posing with their finger up in the air representing that they're the one and later in the night we would get Xavier and Roman Reigns having their uh face off after this we get Commercial break and wants to come back. Xavier Woods is limping backstage and he is being interviewed. He's asked, where does he go from here? Woods replies that he will be going to the ring at the end of the night because Roman will accept his challenge. And he mentions that the Roman Empire wasn't built in a day, but it will fall tonight. And now we get to our first uh, in-ring competition of the night. It's a fatal four-way match. The winner gets the opening last spot for the men's uh, Survivor Series uh, team for SmackDown, and it's Sheamus going against Cesaro, going against Jinder Mahal, going against Ricochet. Sheamus wins the match by pinfall with help 
from Rich Holland. Cesaro was about to hit the neutralizer on Sheamus, but Rich Holland runs down to the ring and distracts uh, Cesaro. In the end, Sheamus bro kicks Cesaro in the face to cover him for the win. After this, we go to the backstage segment now, and we have Jeff Hardy being interviewed backstage. And this whole segment is for Jeff Hardy to say something positive about his tag team uh, mates for his Survivor Series uh, team with Raw going against SmackDown. Jeff was able to say something positive about each member of his team, except for Happy Corbin. Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss interrupts the interview. Corbin tells Moss that he needs to tell Hardy a joke because he's feeling some negativity towards Hardy. Moss says, okay. Moss says, how does Jeff Hardy decide what face paint to use? The punchline of the joke is, whatever goes well with a redneck. And Corbin and Moss just huckle and chuckle and laugh about this crappy joke. Adam Pearce walks in and he says, this is what we're doing? And he tells Corbin that he needs to act more like a teammate. And then he announces that Mad Cat Moss will be facing Jeff Hardy later tonight. Backstage somewhere else, we get Sheamus and Rich Holland walking backstage, and they're stopped for an interview. Sheamus mentions that uh, Rich Holland believes in him, and that like excites Sheamus. Sheamus doesn't. Sheamus' character really doesn't um, need people's like adulation, but Sheamus is so happy to be having a number one fan. Sheamus says that he can't believe that. He has been an inspiration to Ridge Holland, and Ridge steps in and says that if anybody has a problem with what happened tonight, with what he did, they can find both of them at the pub. Seamus is happy to hear that, and he tells Ridge that, you know what, you're going to be paying for those uh, drinks at the pub. So we're starting to see a blossoming of a friendship between Ridge Holland and Seamus. I guarantee you this is not going to last long. After this, we get a video playing of the drama between uh, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch, basically for their one last time to try to hype up their uh, match at Survivor Series between Charlotte and Becky Lynch. And I'm going to give you my opinion on who's going to win the match whenever uh, I talk about my Survivor Series predictions. We go back to the ring now. It's another uh, match, and this time it's a tag team match, and it's contested with the women. It's Aaliyah and Naomi going against Shayna Baszler and Natalia. And Natalia wins the match for her team by pinfall and help from a referee by fast count. Uh, Shayna Baszler hair pulls Naomi to the mat. And Natalia covers Naomi and the referee quickly fast count that. I mean, just like quick speed, like 0.5 or 0.7 seconds. You get all three seconds and it will just quick count. And Pat McAvee and the fans are all booing this. Pat says, oh my God, this stinks. Pat McAvee is a real-life WWE fan, like, really getting to work as commentary. Pat will tell you what he likes, what he don't like. He's really speaking up for the fans that really wish they could say something. If anything, Pat McAfee is almost like Twitter on WWE, but just like a more tamed version, if you will. That's why I respect Pat McAfee. So now we go backstage. The same as he's talking to Sonya Deville about his documentary and saying that the documentary is finished. Talking about the documentary that he was talking about earlier, earlier in the year. Talking about how people are trying to screw him. This is a uh, conspiracy. And he wants the people to see it. But somebody is trying to stop him. That's the way that Sammy is feeling. Sonya tells Sammy that, hey, relax. Relax about the documentary. 
and she has to break Sammy down and tell him that, hey, the reason why you're off the men's Survivor Series team wasn't because of her. That was all Adam Pierce's idea. But she also informed Sammy that she is planning a 25-man battle royal dedicated to The Rocks, and this is going to be The Rocks' 25th year associated with the WWE. She says that if Sammy wins, his name will be associated with The Rock and his millions of fans, which will give him some light to really shine more on his documentary whenever it does show. The referee that was just refereeing the match for the women's tag match comes up to Sonya and asks her how does she do. Sonya plays it off like she doesn't know her and tells her to get out of her face because she doesn't associate herself with crooked referees. So that tells you that that referee was in the pocket of Sonya Deville at this exact moment. After this, we go to in-ring competition. Is Jeff Hardy going to get going against Madcap Moss with Happy Corbin in his corner? But before the match even begins, Jeff Hardy mentions to Moss that if he's going to have somebody in his corner, it's only fair for someone to be in Jeff Hardy's corner. And then out comes Drew McIntyre. So we get Drew McIntyre in the corner of Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy wins the match by pinfall when Jeff Hardy goes to the top turnbuckle looking to hit the Swanton Bomb on Moss. But Corbin gets on the ring apron and distracts Jeff. And Drew walks over to Corbin, grabs him off the apron, and throws him across the commentary table. This distraction allows Moss to get up and attack Jeff Hardy and then bring him off of the top turnbuckle, lift Hardy up for a suplex, but Jeff Hardy was able to counter out of that and roll it up for a roll-up for the win. After the match, Happy Corbin gets in the ring and tries to attack Drew McIntyre, but Drew was able to hit Corbin with a Claymore kick, and then Drew headbutts Moss in the head, which allows Jeff Hardy to go back to the top turnbuckle to hit a swanton bomb on Moss. After this, we get Paul Heyman walking backstage, and he's on the phone. And then he gets a surprise from Kayla Braxton, basically another interview. And she asks Paul, did he hear what Xavier hear about Xavier's challenge to Roman? Paul says that Roman heard the challenge, and he accepts the challenge. So we're going to get that again in the main event. After this, we get Shinsuke Nakamura with Rick Boogs in his corner going against Angel with Humberto in his corner. Nakamura wins the match by pinfall when Nakamura was able to hit the Kinshasa on Angel, then pin him. After the match, Humberto cheap shots Rick Boogs behind the back as Boogs was celebrating with Nakamura, and then Humberto runs out of the ring. So the team of Los Lotharios, which is Angel and Humberto, are still having this beef with uh, Nakamura and Rick Boogs. I don't understand that. Nakamura should be defending his Intercontinental Championship. I don't understand why he's not having matches with uh, Ricochet or matches with Cesaro or matches with, like, even with Sheamus for an Intercontinental Championship, you can do these type of matches. I'm hoping that after Survivor Series, we get the uh, Ricochet matches, the Cesaro matches, the Sheamus matches. Um, Even if you want to do it, you can throw in uh, Kofi whenever he gets himself back together. Uh, Shinsuke and Kofi, that still be a great match. But for Nakamura not to be defending his Intercontinental Championship, that's just a waste. After this, we get Shayna, uh No, we get uh, Sasha Banks and Shashi Blackheart in the gorilla position. They're standing right next to each other, and Sonya walks over, and she's in between them, and she says, I know that you don't like each other, but this weekend you have to be teammates. And Shashi interrupts and says that Sasha is petty, vindictive, and a little brat. 
uh, Shotzi mentions that whenever she got screwed, gets screwed over, she doesn't forget. Shotzi concludes by saying payback is a, and then Sasha puts her hand in front of uh, Shotzi's face and stops her and tells her that if she had a nickel for every time a rookie tried to make a name off of her, she would be rich. She laughs and mentions that she is rich and that nobody would know who Shotzi is if it wasn't for Sasha. Sasha says that she is the captain of Team SmackDown, and Shotzi's right. Payback is a B. Shayna lets them... No, not Shayna. Sonya Deville lets them know that after their match, she wants both women to get up and shake each other's hands, and then you look and see Sasha and Shotzi not liking that idea, but they know they're going to have to do it. So now it's time for their match of Sasha Banks going against Shotzi. Sasha wins the match by submission whenever Sasha was able to lock... Shotzi in the bank statement, but she couldn't like lock both of her hands in to like really like submit the bank statement in completely because during the match, Shotzi like damaged up and like beat up uh Sasha's left hand a lot, even at one point putting her hand in between like steel steps and start kicking it like repeatedly. So Sasha had to lock her leg under Shotzi's throat and like grab it by her right arm and like apply pressure to the throat of Shotzi, and that's what made Shotzi tap out. After the match, Sonya Deville gets on the entrance stage, and she's watching the whole thing to make sure that Sasha and Shotzi Blackheart shake hands. So Sasha lifts up Shotzi, extends her hand out. Shotzi hesitates, but she ends up shaking Sasha's hands, and then Sasha quickly turns Shotzi around and hits a black backstabber on Shotzi, and then rolls out of the ring, and Sasha is just so happy with herself, and then she walks up to Sonya, and she said, I did what you wanted, right? I, I shook her hand. I shook her hand. And Sonya is just like, yeah, you did. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, okay. I'll see you. I'll see you. She is not happy about the situation because she wants Team SmackDown to be a cohesive unit, but uh, we'll just have to see whatever uh, what happens at Survivor Series. This, will they all co-exist. I don't know. We'll have to see. After this, we get Roman Reigns in his locker room, and he asks Paul, is it time? Paul tells him, it's time. So Roman gets up, and he's about to leave his locker room, and you see the Uso stand up out of their chairs, and they're about to follow Roman, but Roman stops him and says, I can handle this on my own, and he leaves out of the locker room. We go to Tony Storm being interviewed backstage, and Tony mentions that she will be representing the blue brand at Survivor Series. She's taking that opening spot, that last opening spot on the women's SmackDown Survivor Series team. And she also mentions why she challenged uh, Charlotte last week on SmackDown. Tony talks about how Charlotte is so obsessed with Becky that when she does lose to Becky at Survivor Series, which in Tony's mind, she will, that will make Charlotte drop her guard. And in that case, Charlotte will be so vulnerable that she will lose that SmackDown Women's Championship. So Charlotte then walks into the interview and tells her that once she's done with Becky, Tony is next in line for her. She feels that Tony doesn't deserve a championship match, but she's going to give it to her and she's going to beat her the exact same way she's going to beat up Becky Lynch at Survivor Series. Now it's time for the main segment, the main event, if you will, of the show. We get Xavier Woods and Roman Reigns' confrontation. Xavier is in the ring, and he calls Roman Reigns out. Roman comes out with Paul Heyman in tow. And as Roman is close to the ring, 
you see Paul Heyman and Roman standing right there looking at Woods, and Paul just looks over into the entrance stage, and he yells out for the Usos. You hear the fans boo, and you see Roman smiling, and he knows that the Usos are supposed to be coming out here to beat up on Woods, but they don't show up. Paul gets a concerned face, and he yells for the Usos again. The Usos don't show up. Now you see Roman start having a concerned look on his face, and the camera pans over to the entrance ramp, and you see one of the Usos fly like they just got tossed out of the backstage area onto the stage. And then a couple seconds later, another Uso gets tossed from the backstage area onto the stage, and then the camera pans over to Xavier Woods smiling in the ring, and you know this was a trap and it was set up. And then you hear Big E's music hits, and the fans are erupting. They're sm they're happy because they know what they're about to get now. They're about to get Big E and Roman Reigns clashing with each other before Survivor Series. And that's exactly what happens. Big E walks onto the entrance stage. He walks down slowly. Roman Reigns and Big E are locking eyes with each other. Roman says, screw that. He starts walking up the stage, so he meets Big E right in the middle, and those two just start throwing hands. These two big guys just start just throwing hands with each other, but Big E was able to get the best out of this encounter whenever he throws Roman into the barricades, and then he throws him into the ring. And now you got Big E and King Woods both stomping out Roman Reigns as a family, and they're constantly just stomping out Roman on the mat until the Usos come in to try to make the save for Roman. But Jimmy gets hit with a big ending from Big E, while Jay gets hit with a super kick from Xavier Woods, and then Big E picks up Jay and hits him with a big ending. Now the Usos are both outside of the ring, and Xavier sees this. He runs across the ring, and then he jumps and hits a top cut helo onto the Usos, and now the Usos and King Woods are wiped out, and the only two people inside the ring are Roman Reigns and Big E. Big E sees all this, and then he turns around to try to finish off Roman, but he gets hit with a Superman punch from Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns goes into a corner. He's there, and he's just stalking Big E till he gets up, and then he hits his whole uh, hype chant. And then he runs over to try to spear Big E. But Big E catches Roman in midair and hikes him up and has him in position for the big ending. And he's about to hit it. But Roman Reigns rolls off of Big E's shoulders. And then he rolls outside of the ring and he starts walking up the ramp. And now the camera pans back over to Big E. And Big E's holding the WWE Championship with King Woods in the ring. As Paul hands Roman Reigns the Universal Championship on the entrance ramp. And your final shot of the night is basically a back and forth shot of Big E holding the WWE Championship and Roman Reigns holding the Universal Championship to basically get people hyped up for this match of the two big major champions going against each other at Survivor Series. And that's how SmackDown ends. Now onto AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a match between Darby Allin with Sting in his corner going against Billy Gunn in the Gun Club in his corner. Darby wins the match by pinfall when he he hits Billy with two coffin drops. The first one he did, he pinned Billy, and Billy kicked out at one. And then he hit Billy with the second one, but this time it was on his back. And then he flipped him over and pinned Billy, and he got the three count for that. After the match, the gun club throws Sting into the guardrails outside the ring, and then they get into the ring, and they start just stomping out on Darby Allen. 
The Gun Club are then attacked by Sting once he gets in the ring and he throws them off of Darby. So now it's just Sting and Darby in the ring, but Billy gets up and then he runs over and chops block Sting from behind the leg. And now you got Darby on the ground, Sting kneeling, and Billy Gunn standing over Sting, and he just hits Sting right in the face. And Sting's basically laid out. So we're building up probably two Billy Guns and the Gun Club going against Sting and Darby with basically trying to get some of the shine onto the Gun Club. Because remember, as a tag team, with all three of these members, or even a trio, they're still undefeated. So we'll have to see what they do with that. Will they put a lot of light onto Billy and his kids or not? We'll just have to see. After this, we get Tony Schiavone interviewing QT Marshall. And QT Marshall throws out the challenge to CM Punk for a match on Dynamite this upcoming week in Chicago. And we will get CM Punk's response to that challenge later in the night. After this interview, we get a backstage promo from the men of the year. And the main point of this promo is that they said they, things with the inner circle aren't over. And that this isn't the last time you will see American Top Team in AEW and how they're proud of Dan Lamberg for even participating in the match at full gear whenever he wasn't even one of the guys that wanted to be inside AEW uh, ring. But they were happy that Dan Lamberg did it, but they are not through with the inner circle, not by a long shot. After this, now we get an in-ring competition between Jay Cargill going against Red Velvet in the TBS Championship quarterfinals match for the tournament, and Jade wins the match by pinfall when Jade hits Red Velvet with Jaded to win the match. So now Jade has advanced to the semifinals of the tournament. And let me just say this right now. This match, it was easy to predict because I didn't see Jade losing to Red Velvet. No disrespect to Red Velvet, but the way that they're hyping up Jade, this one was an easy walkthrough for me, all right? So now Jade will be waiting for the winner of the Tony, not Tony, but uh, Thunder Rosa going against Jamie Hayter match, which will happen on Dynamite. So Jade will be waiting for who's going to win out of that match. And we get Thunder Rosa now with a backstage promo. And she mentioned that she will beat Jamie Hayter in the tournament on Dynamite in advance to become the first ever TBS champion. But before Thunder can do that, she has to go against Jay Cargill. And that's a match I want to see because you got two women that are hyped up. Thunder Rosa being hyped up and uh, Jay Cargill being hyped up. And I want to know personally who's going to win out of that match when those two happen. Because it's not going to be Jamie winning. I already know this. Thunder Rosa going against uh, Jay Cargill. If I were to put money down on it, I'm saying that they're probably going to go with... Ugh, um... I want to say Jade. I'm going with Jade. I'm sticking my neck out on that one. I'm going with Jade. After this, we get a CM Punk and um, Tony Schiavone backstage interview. And the main point of it is that CM Punk agrees to QT Marshall's challenge on Dynamite. So now we will be getting CM Punk going against QT Marshall on Dynamite. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage. It is the tag team match between Adam Cole and Bobby Fish going against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy wins the match for his team by submission when Jungle Boy locks in the snare trap on Bobby Fish and Bobby taps out. As Bobby was locked in a, as Bobby was locked into the snare trap, Adam Cole was on the entrance ramp with the Young Bucks because at 
during the end of the match, when Jungle Boy was taking, like, dominating the match, Adam Cole was on the entrance, uh, not in, he was on the ring apron, and he called out for the Bucks to come out. So the Bucks come sneaking their way down to the ring, but behind them, you see Christian Cage come running down with a steel chair. So now you get Christian running with the steel chair, chasing the Young Bucks around the ring, and then the Young Bucks run up the entrance ramp, and then you have Adam Cole follow behind the Young Bucks because he wants to protect them. So he basically leaves Bobby Fish out there in the dust to basically uh, tap out. So I don't know if Bobby Fish is going to talk about Cole, talk to Cole about this. I don't know if he's going to uh, want to fight Adam Cole on Dynamite, but some way, somehow, they're going to mention this on Dynamite because I don't see it. Uh, lasting bump for so long of Bobby Fish constantly just like getting his butt beat up and always taking the uh, loss and Adam Cole just constantly going to just get out uh, easy. So we'll happen to see whenever that happens on um, Dynamite. But again, that was uh, the results for AEW Rampage. Now, uh, let me give you my uh, Survivor Series predictions. Uh, first match of the night, Team Raw versus Team SmackDown in the men's 505 uh, Survivor Series elimination uh, match. Team Raw has Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory, while Team SmackDown has Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, Sheamus. I'm going with Raw because Raw just has much more uh, it has much more main eventers on that team, especially Seth, Finn, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory, while SmackDown technically only got like two with Drew McIntyre and Jeff Hardy. But they could be the underdog story. But I'm going to put my money down Team Raw. Uh, the 5-on-5 Women's Survivor Series elimination match between the team of Team Raw and Team SmackDown. Team Raw, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, uh, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Queen Selena going against uh, Team SmackDown's Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalya, and Tony Storm. I'm going with Team Raw. Team Raw again. Former world champions on their... Um, Team with Bianca and Rhea and Carmella being former all world champions. While SmackDown, they only got what Sasha and Natalia that are former world champions. So Team Raw should win this one too. But I see that Dewdrop probably gonna screw Bianca if anyway. But I'm hoping that they don't do that. I hope it just sticks with competition between Raw and SmackDown. Nobody interfere like that. But what happened to see? But I go with still Team Raw. Champion versus champion, Becky going against Charlotte. I would say we're going to go with Becky on this because Becky hasn't lost a match yet. Charlotte has lost matches, and I don't think they're going to give this one up to Charlotte to be the first woman to beat Becky since Becky's been back, so Becky's going to win this. Um, RK Bro going against the Usos. I have... You know what? I have RK Bro winning this. And I say this because I think that we're going to get some shenanigans. I think we're probably going to get somebody uh, screwing the Usos over because the Usos uh, have been messing with the New Day. It probably might be Kofi or somebody else, but I see just RK Bro winning. Right now, the way that I've been tallying this up, this is all. This is going to be an all-raw show. I could be extremely wrong, but we'll have it to see. Uh, Damian Priest going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Again, Damian Priest. It seems like people backstage really like Damian Priest and they really like what he's doing. So I don't see them having him lose to Nakamura 
And Nakamura has been eating some losses to people, so I see them throwing another loss to Nakamura on this. Uh, the Battle Royal for The Rock's uh, 25th Anniversary Battle Royal. Uh, I don't know the men that's in this, but if I were to take a guess, because I saw a photo of it, it had like AJ Styles, Omos, Viking Raiders, Dolph Ziggler, Bobby Roode, Sami Zayn, like the Alpha Academy. The biggest name in that whole thing is like AJ Styles. So I'm going to go with AJ on that. Or if not AJ, you know what? Throw it over to Omos. There you go. Uh, the main event of the night. Big E going as Roman Reigns. If anything, I think, and if I were to really plan this out, I would want Big E to win this and give Roman his first loss. Because Big E needs, like, a gravitas-type win. He does. Whoever beats Roman for the Universal Championship, you're going to already get that big, like, huzzah moment because you took the championship off of a man that's been holding it almost. It's going to be up on two years whenever August hits again for Survivors uh, SummerSlam. But, no, not SummerSlam, but in um, September of next year. But he's been holding on to that championship for a year and a couple months now. So, the person that beats Roman for the WWE Universal Championship, yeah, you get the big rub for that. But Big E needs the rub right now from Roman. He does. Because Big E's... WWE Championship run hasn't been that great because they don't have some people like lined up for him to really like give him a challenge in the bad guy department. So give him this win and it'll be fine. So let me tell you the matches that I'm iffy on. If I were to take a couple, I'll be cool with. I'll be okay with losing any of the five on five elimination, whether it be the women or men. I'm cool with that. If you mean to tell me that they give Shinsuke Nakamura the win over Damian Priest? I'm going to really question what are they doing. But I don't see them doing that. But if they give Charlotte Flair the win over Becky Lynch, I'm going to question that. I really am going to question that one. But again, I have Raw basically sweeping this whole pay-per-view. And if I'm wrong, I'm cool with being wrong with either 505 Survivor Series men or women uh matches and before i get you guys out of here i just want to inform you guys again the wwe on thursday nights they cut more people they cut eight people they cut john morrison they cut tegan knox they cut drake maverick they cut shane thorne they cut jason Riker, and they cut the rest of the members of hit row which consists of isaiah swerve scott top dollar and ashanti the adonis you have that right. They cut the rest of Hit Row. Guys, they were just uh, putting it on their television for the last month, at least in a nice spot for the fans to enjoy them later. You guys built them and slowly were building them up, and then you guys cut them. Again, they always say this because of budget uh, cuts. I don't know what the deal is. I don't care to know what the deal is. You guys wasted people's time and effort. I didn't like that you guys had Hit Row up there and then you just like cut them for after a whole month of being on WWE television. But hey, they got 90 days to wait. They're going to do their time. And then after that, we're going to see them probably in Impact. And if not Impact, probably MLW or AEW or some of that magnitude. And I mean Hit Row. I mean the whole group Hit Row. I've, we only get Top Dollar and Swerve without B-Fab or Shanti 
it's gonna be cool, but I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna wish for all the group because they had like a legit family dynamic to me, and they were just starting to get formulated because they technically just got put together this year, like literally, even on the NXT brand, they got put together early to mid this year. They got put together on NXT, and then they get called up, and now they're on SmackDown. So yeah, this year was literally them being put together, and by the end of the year, they get literally, all right, bye-bye from WWE. I want all of them to show up somewhere and be uh, supported. I see MLW probably reaching their hand out because they work with uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott, or better known now as independent name, Shane Strickland, because he was their MLW world champion at a time. So I can see him, uh, the owner of MLW, reaching his hand out to him to try to get those guys and gal over to MLW to do some things over there. That'll be cool to see. But, hey, I'm cool with them showing up on any other wrestling promotion. I'm hoping that everybody has gotten released goes and finds a promotion that they enjoy. The independents are booming right now because you have so much talent that have gotten released by WWE this year. That's now with Ring of Honor basically on the hiatus now, and they release all of their roster. You get the Briscoes on the free market. You got Jonathan Gresham on the free market. Um, You got Dalton Castle on the free market. You got Shane Taylor Promotions. You got... uh. Kenny King, Dragon Lee, Roosh on um, the open market. You got uh, uh, Bandito on the open market. You got um, so many guys from Ring of Honor. And there's so many guys from WWE that got released that could easily just float through in AEW whenever they just want a one-shot deal with them. Or you get a float through in Impact Wrestling for a couple uh, shots on the television screen. Or MLW or... uh, any type of wrestling company, even your local indies, that's great because they've, whenever they're on there, they get to put a shine on the local indie and also help build up the local independent talent that might not get the type of um, experience that they can get if they were to travel around and they might not have the money to do it. So if uh, somebody like a uh, Shane Strickland or somebody like a um, Braun Strowman or somebody like um, a Bo Dallas or whoever that got released earlier this year and even still continuously now that comes in and they work that independent with that local guy that local that worked with that uh, wrestler that got cut that has some credibility to his name can build out his resume and be like you know what I had a match with this guy this guy said I was good you guys can use my match with him and see if you want to book me or not That type of thing, I enjoy because you know what? That gives people a lot of opportunities to check out their promotion and to check them out. And they'll probably get uh, localized a lot more and to get mobilized a lot more and to get uh, eyes put on them a lot more. So that basically helps out the wrestling industry as a whole. So don't take this as a negative. Yes, they lost their jobs. Yes, it's crappy. But WWE is not the only game in town anymore. AEW's here. People make money off of Impact Wrestling, even though people might say, how can you make money? Because if you go to Impact Wrestling and you go there, yes, you work there, but they allow you to do independence. So that's money on top of money, and you get to sell your merch at a place. That's more money. You get to sell merch online, aka more money. So again, don't take this as a bad thing for all these people to get released. Take it as a good thing. 
And that's the way I'm going to take it. It's a good thing they got released because now they don't have the quote-unquote, the typical line, the cuffs are off me. Yeah, the cuffs are off of these guys and gals, and they get to do whatever they want. They get to basically be signed anywhere and get to wrestle anywhere that they want in the style that they want instead of being pigeonholed in one uh, box as you would in WWE. So I just want to throw that out there. I hope all these guys and gals get back on their feet. Enjoy these 90 days that you have. Rehab your body up and then prepare to be ready to work whenever you uh, these uh, 90 days are up, are up. And with that, let me get you guys my social media uh, links so you can get you out of here. On Twitter, you can catch me at, at my two podcasts. Instagram, my two cents podcast G two. Uh, my email, if you want to email me anything, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Um, I was on Wisdom this week and I talked about family. You can catch me on my tomorrow episode on Sunday where I talk about the latest things in the news and also have an interview with a fellow classmate of mine. And um, I believe that's it. Oh, yeah. For past and future episodes, you can catch them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbeam, and also Audible. And with that, I love you all. I hope you have a great rest, a great Saturday morning, a great rest of your weekend. Please be safe out here because remember, this is Thanksgiving. Uh, this is the pregame, pregame, pregame before Thanksgiving. So people are out here trying to get their groceries and all this type of stuff. And I'm going to say this to you again tomorrow on my Sunday episode. But again, I just want to keep you guys, uh, get you guys head in the right frame of mind. So again, I love you all. Have a great blessed Saturday. For the love of God, please be safe. Get to your destination. Come back home safely. And I hope you guys will tune into my uh, episode on Sunday. And if not, hey, I'm cool with that. And with that, this has been my Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week, uh, hosted by G2. I've been G2. He is I and I him. I love you all. Bye-bye now. Kanye, please take these people home. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept.